And we know some brilliant thinkers exist with these challenges and also have sensitivity. So what are we doing if we don't design a world that invites their contributions? Welcome to The Chill Factory, where we make work, school, relationships, and life less stressful. I'm Jordan Friedman. First, a few questions for you. Are you or someone you know really sensitive to lights and sounds? Overwhelmed in crowded places? Are you very emotional, very empathetic, compassionate, and generous? Are you sensitive to criticism? Do you overthink and worry a lot? Do you take things personally? Do you often struggle to make decisions? Do you enjoy working from home? Did you answer yes to some of these questions? Do you know someone who would? I did, and this may mean that we're highly sensitive people. But when I first heard this term, I probably rolled my eyes because I thought that highly sensitive people were people you had to tiptoe around. You had to be really careful what you said around them because they got really upset really easily about a lot of things. And let's face it, being sensitive, let alone highly sensitive, is something that's looked down upon by a lot of people in a lot of cultures. But my guest Claire Kumar says that being a highly sensitive person is much more than that, and it can be advantageous, especially professionally. It can also be problematic, and that's why she says that it's important to know if you and people in your life are highly sensitive. Claire Kumar helps highly sensitive, responsive, and perceptive professionals optimize their performance. Claire is a highly sensitive person herself, so she understands the big benefits and challenges of being a highly sensitive person. Through speaking, workshops, coaching, and media appearances, Claire inspires change by inviting attention to little things that make a big difference. I started by asking Claire what being highly sensitive is and isn't. Well, it's not a disorder, so let me clear that piece up right away. However, one in five people are genetically wired to have this trait called high sensitivity or sensory processing sensitivity. When we're talking about the trait of high sensitivity, we're talking about a very, very responsive nervous system. And in our nervous system, we have sensitivity to all kinds of stimulation. It could be the temperature, it could be the texture of a fabric, it could be the word someone uses, it could be the emotion in a room. So there's a broad sensitivity to all kinds of incoming stimulation. For someone listening who's wondering, am I a highly sensitive person? Is there a checklist of sorts or a list of indicators that would say, yes, you are, or no, you're not? Well, I love that question because I think it is important to find a way to quickly determine, does this trait apply to you? And so I've taken some of the work from Dr. Elaine Aaron, who identified this trait way back in 1996, and simplified a little bit and tried to make it a little more memorable in creating the SEED model for high sensitivity. And the SEED model is an acronym, S-E-E-D, for four different elements to the trait, 
which I think, and Elaine would say, are fundamental pieces of sensitivity. And if you can understand your relationship to each element, then you can really have a pretty good idea. Oh my gosh, this might apply to me. And overall, SEED stands for four things. And the first one is sensitivity to stimulation. So we have that highly responsive nervous system that is noticing everything and we're taking everything in. So it's wonderful because we have a really great sense of what's going on. It's also really exhausting. You can imagine, I often use the analogy of a meerkat who's standing on its hind legs, sensing that, you know, the smells in the air, it's um, looking for movements, listening, and keeping the rest of its mob safe. And uh, imagine your attention was on all the time, how you would need a little more rest in the day. So that's S. The first E stands for empathy. And it's kind of wonderful that there's a trait in which empathy is kind of wired in. And so I I give a lot of leadership workshops now and we talk about the value of empathy. And what's interesting is in, in the corporate world, you might find empathy within leaders, but you'll also find that they might be the first people to burn out if they're being asked to do too much or the environment is really toxic. So empathy is one of the, um, the richest superpowers, I think, within the trait. The second E is for emotional responsiveness. And this talks to the fact that our brains light up um, more so in imaging than other people's when we have an emotional response. We, there's a physical difference. So it, it shows up in, in our emotional reactions, our emotional level of awareness. You'll find a lot of uh, sensitive people are very well attuned to who they are. The D is depth of processing. And depth of processing looks like creativity. It looks like rich problem solving. It can also look like analysis paralysis and getting stuck and not being able to move forward because of, you know, empathy also leads to this sense of caring about what we do. So a bit of perfectionism, and then you add some deep processing to that and you can be spinning and spinning and spinning and not moving forward sometimes. And Claire, if someone is highly sensitive, do they have to have all of those traits, all of those lights going off that you just mentioned, or it could be one and not the three other areas, or it could be a little bit of one, a little bit of the other, and not so much of the remaining two. It, it does vary. You will find a huge variety of expression of these traits. And I know in Elaine's book, you know, I think she uses a measure of over 14, 12 or 14, you're highly sensitive. And then she has a statement that says, but if you feel really strongly about two or three, then you might be highly sensitive too. Why is it important to know if you're a highly sensitive person? Gosh, that's such a good question. And I think for me, it was this feeling of being understood that I wasn't a neurotic person. I wasn't too difficult. I wasn't too much. You'll have, you hear a lot of highly sensitive people saying as children, they were just too much, too demanding, too difficult, too, too sensitive. And I think when we understand just how 
as a human animal, we are processing our world, we can then step into self-compassion and be kinder to ourselves and also say that, you know what, I matter, I matter, and I would appreciate you taking care of me as well. This is an act of love we're asking for from the world. We were talking off mic before about sensitivity to noise. So I am very sensitive to noise. I know that all kinds of noise. So I'm guessing that even if you only had a sensitivity to one thing, that's good to know. It's good to know so that I can structure my life and my work life around it, right? It first starts with understanding the trait and how it shows up for you. And and as we were just discussing, it might look different for each of the different elements. And even the expression, the degree of sensitivity can look different. Then you step into regulating. You learn how to better regulate self and you also regulate what you can in your environment to have it serve you. You set up a schedule that gives you breaks in the day. You create an environment which has the right level of visual stimulation, not too much clutter around if if you're sensitive to that kind of thing. But what I invite people to do, and this is what we were also talking about, is stepping into advocacy, where we have to influence the world around us and really taking on thinking about how the whole world can be more inclusive and more tender so sensitive people can actually avoid overwhelm and keep contributing with that foundation of great talent they have. And is it also about productivity and being able to better make decisions and have stronger relationships? Is understanding whether we're highly sensitive part of progressing in life and developing as people. I really believe it is. And I think, you know, the more aware we are of how we work, the better we can navigate and set ourselves up for success. But I'll tell you, in about six years of working on this personally, I am not the same person and really diving into my sensitivity, understanding it, and speaking up when a situation is going to help me. I have found it speaking up for the others around me, some who are aware of of something like potentially the extra cold color of LED lighting in in a room, or I will turn down music and all three of us that were in conversation were like, wow, that's so much better. Hmm. Can you give us a couple of quick examples or stories of people who are highly sensitive and what that looked like in part or whole for them and ways that they worked to make their lives smoother and and how they worked with their sensitivity well you know when we talk about noise i think that's a a really interesting one to pick up on now because research out of hok and tarket they they have ranked this different sensitivities to stimulation and noise is the number one i think 
this is my hypothesis. I don't know if anybody's mapped it to the Great Resignation and the and the real commitment a lot of people have now to wanting to work several days a week from home. I think it's this ability to curate that working working environment that really works for them. It might be getting rid of the commute, but it it might also be being able to think effectively in an environment that's not overstimulating. And I think a lot of leaders might be missing that one. So so just that um, curation or, or or advocating or asking for that right to work from home, it's been something I've been lobbying for and in discussions uh, about for oh, probably 20 years. I ended up leaving the corporate world because I was not allowed to work from home, even though my job was 90% on the phone. And I offered to come in 50% of the time. I got a hard no, and I ended up leaving the company. And I remember pitching to our national radio station. I said, you know, our company makes the equipment to allow you to work from home is telecommunications, and they're not supporting work from home. Is this a story? And in 2008, I got a hard no, that's not a story. Well, just a couple of months ago, 14 radio interviews across the country on helping people advocate for the right to work from home. So it is a story. It's a story that has just unfolded. And I think that noise and stimulation and the ability to think is a big part of that story for highly sensitive people and beyond. And I, I think one of the things I'd like to do is expand the idea of sensitivity. So beyond the trait, it's also people with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, uh, anxiety, and there are more people that fall into this bucket of sensitivity and needing to understand it and manage it. Yeah. Just to pose the question to people, how would you design your perfect working environment if that question had been posed, and I'm sure it was in some contexts, prior to March 2020? People probably would have described, in many cases, how they're currently working, right? With less noise, with less interruption in environments that, that felt very comfortable. You know... That's really interesting what you just said about this is also about people who have experienced trauma, who have anxiety, and of course, who are prone to be stressed, which is a lot of us, because what we're also talking about here is triggers. It's stimuli that sets off our stress response. It makes us feel much more anxious. It can make us feel overwhelmed. And of course, it can really trigger a response based in trauma. So understanding your sensitivities is much more than just having a better day. Yeah, I believe it's critical. And it's interesting because personally, I have multiple sclerosis as well. And in my reading in the communities, I find there's a lot of chronic illness and autoimmune issues as well. And I think it's related to learning how to manage all that extra stress. So I, I not only think it's important, I think it's critical to our, our well-being and our life expectancy and, and uh, just the, the overall quality of life that we can have. So Given my respect for the highly sensitive community and the talent that lies there, I 
I'm really on a mission to say we can't marginalize this population anymore. And if we look at neurodivergent people that also have sensitivity, it's people with ADHD, it's autism spectrum, it's dyslexia. And we know some brilliant thinkers exist with these challenges and also have sensitivity. So what are we doing if we don't design a world that invites their contributions? And you, you mentioned productivity a couple of minutes ago. And I like the hashtag productivity is personal because I, I see a lot of leaders, CEOs, motivated from a convenience perspective. Like, you know what, it's really great that I can walk the hallways and have a couple of minutes here and there with my employees. It's really rich and valuable. And I say, but know what your ask is. If it took four hours of commuting and a whole pile of stress to be in that space, is that a reasonable trade-off? Or is there another way to get at what you need as a leader and also invite the autonomy that highly sensitive people need? And it's a terrible decision that people are forced to make sometimes, and it robs not only them of their lives, but the rest of us of their potential. That's right. And I'm thinking, you know what? We've designed the world to get the best from the most, right? But we've sacrificed the most from some of the best minds. Okay, folks, now that we understand we're doing this, what can we do to invite those contributions? What do we need to do from a culture perspective at work? to be more inclusive and more flexible? What do we need to do in urban spaces to allow for quiet? What do we need to do with city bylaws? What do we need to do with product design? Accelerator hand dryers, for example, you shouldn't exist. You should just not exist. You're just too loud for the human ear. So there's there's a lot of influence I'm looking to have and a lot of conversations I'm so excited to be part of now with culture shapers, space designers, product inventors to invite this creation of a more inclusive, tender world. Well, Claire Kumar, thank you for raising our awareness about highly sensitive people because the chill factory produces chill, but often you have to go through a hallway of awareness to get to the factory floor where the chill is happening. So thanks so much for helping us do that today. My great pleasure, Jordan. It was a treat speaking with you. Be sure to check the episode notes for more about Claire and tools to help you figure out if you are a highly sensitive person and if you are, resources to help you out. During my conversation with Claire, we talked about triggers which literally set off your stress response. It's great to identify and think about and, if possible, avoid triggers in the name of stress and anxiety relief. Beyond the stress response, triggers can set off panic episodes, feelings of overwhelm, difficulty focusing, traumatic memories, and other intense and immediate responses. Triggers also add to our overall and already high stress and anxiety levels. So what gets your stress response going? I know someone who goes through the roof when he hears slurping or someone biting into an apple. I have a friend who freaks out when she smells scented candles. I had one going at a party once and will never do that again if she's on the guest list. 
and the trigger that always stands out to me is a friend of a friend would have a meltdown whenever she saw what she called mutant fruit, those freakishly large pumpkins or zucchinis that you often see at state fairs or farmer's markets. There are endless triggers, and although some may seem silly, it's important to remember that we're all different and we react to different things in different ways based on experiences and wiring. Stress and anxiety reduction are ongoing efforts, so identifying, minimizing, and avoiding your triggers when possible is good for your overall stress relief and health. The Chill Factory is going on summer break soon, and we'll be back in September. Don't stress, because you always have the Chill Factory app and its hundreds of stress and anxiety relief activities. Just download the Chill Factory from the App Store or Google Play and enter the password VACATION so that you and 25 other listeners can enjoy all of the app's features for free for one year from the original post date of this episode. It's quitting time for this episode of The Chill Factory. I'm Jordan Friedman. Thanks so much for listening. We have more resources at thechillfactory.net, and you can also leave a voice comment or question there. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd really love it if you starred, reviewed, and or shared The Chill Factory. And as comedy writer and magician Robert Orban said, a vacation is having nothing to do and all day to do it in.